This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today's guest got into bees in a big and unusual way. He fell in love with a commercial beekeeper's daughter. Now running 3,000 colonies and pollinating crops ranging from almonds, fruit, and seeds, this guy knows how to hustle. I drove down to visit him a few weeks ago and got to spend a day following him around and asking a million questions. I even got to drive a forklift. Some of you may know him from his social media where he creates informative and comical content. Please welcome Tom Cinquini. Um, I want to make so, sure I pronounce your last name correctly. Well, you can't go wrong because in my family, we say it three different ways. Let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> so it's an Italian last name. And okay. the correct way to say it is Cinquini. Cinquini? Cinquini. Now, Cinquini. I love that. Yeah. So um, growing up, we said Cinquini. And I went, I, uh, for my church, I went to serve a mission in Italy for two years. So I said Cinquini over there. Yeah. When I came back, I wanted to change it to Cinquini, but nobody would listen. But <laughs> naturally, I say it Cinquini. Now, instead of Cinquini, I say Cinquini. Okay. My parents went on a mission to South Africa and changed it to Cinquini when they were down there. They came back and said, we go by Cinquini now. Wow. So my parents say Cinquini. I say Cinquini. And my siblings go back and forth between Cinquini and Cinquini. Um, I was going to say it. <laughs> I was going to say it a fourth way. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah. Cinquini. Cinquini. Yeah. No, that would be a fourth way. That is not how we pronounce it, though. Okay. So I'm glad I asked. <laughs> so Cinquini is how I say Cinquini. it. Cinquini. Yeah. What a lovely name. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's, you know, it's nice, some nice Italian heritage in it. <laughs> so. Okay. Tom Cinquini. Yes. Of Sours Apiary. Correct. I want to go to the 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 day you met your wife Janelle. Okay. Dude meets Dudette. Dudette is beekeeper's daughter. Your future is now laid out. Laid out. So, um kind of. Okay. <laughs> so, um uh I was living with a friend and uh who I wrestled with in college and he was getting his uh teaching degree and was a student teacher under Janelle. And we're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so he said, hey, I know this girl who's LDS and you're LDS. Like, you've got to meet. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I told him, I was like, hey, just because we both belong to the same religion doesn't mean we'll even get along. Like, you know, I mean, it just, you know, he's like, no, 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 you will. She likes wrestling. You know, you like wrestling. You know, her dad coached wrestling. And, and um, so at the time, we were working on the weekends at Kell's Irish Pub um, downtown, and uh, they called me the Mormon Dorman. The Mormon Dorman? The Mormon Dorman. Dorman. Yeah, that's what they <laughs> called me. Yeah. So, um, and so I was working there uh, on the weekends doing security. It was a great place to work. It was a lot of fun. And, um, and that's a whole other story in itself and how I got into that, right? Yeah. But, and, but, and she kept telling him, hey, you know, so he went on a mission, but now he works in a bar. Like, I'm not sure this is the guy for me, right? <laughs> but anyway, her and her friends went out one night, and um, they ended up at Kells because they knew that's where Brett worked, which was my friend. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we have our earpieces in, and I hear, Tom, Tom, she's at the door. She's at the door. And I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, the teacher who's meant my mentor teacher. And so that's we met that night. And uh, three weeks later, we went on our first date. Oh. And um, and then we dated for like four and a half years. Wow. Um, yeah. And, the, and so about halfway through that dating, maybe a little bit more than halfway through, I don't exactly remember. Um, so I have a degree in art. And I was working as an artist in Portland um, with Walter Gordonier, a glass artist in Portland. And it was 2008, 2009, you know, economy's not doing so well. People aren't spending a lot of money on art. Um, we're working all over the country doing the art. And I hear my father-in-law, you know, 
could use some help one day, you know, or, and, and I, you know, and I could use some money one day. So it kind of, so I came out and worked for him for a day. And your father-in-law was the founder of, of Sours, Sours Apiaries. Yes. So he started about 50 years ago. Was this your first foray with bees? I didn't even know beekeeping existed <laughs> before this. Like, I mean, I, I knew there was honey and I yeah. knew pollination occurred, but I had no idea. I don't, I don't think I'd ever put it together that there were people out there for a living, they pollinated. No idea. Wow. No idea. Okay. So, so yeah. girlfriend's dad needs some help. And, uh, and whether he actually liked how I worked or felt bad for me because I was the boyfriend <laughs> of his daughter, I don't know. But um, he, I worked from one day a week. You know, and then I came back the next week and the next week and then it was two days a week and then it was three days a week. Did you like the work? Yeah. I mean, it was physical and I liked the physical work. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. And my father-in-law was an amazing, and I mean, he's a teacher for a living. That's what he did before the beekeeping or, mm -hmm. or actually he did both at the same time for a while, um, many years actually. But he, I mean, his stories were good. He was a good teacher. He's a good instructor, good mentor. Yeah. So it was fun to be around. Hmm. And he, uh, so at some point, um, with the art, I said, okay, I'm going to go do this beekeeping thing yeah. full time. So then I was a beekeeper, you know, and, and under my father-in-law and, um, and then the story continues where unfortunately he had a heart attack and, um, was unable to continue, um, keeping the, you know, running the bees. And, uh, my mother-in-law came to me and said, so either we need to look at selling everything or, you know, we'll have you run it. And I was like, I, I have, what, what do you mean to run it? Like, <laughs> I have no idea how to run a business. I have no idea how to manage other people. Like, you know, like, I, yeah. like it was a lot. Um, and I said, okay, let's do it for a year. And seven or not eight, eight, nine years later, um, so in, in 2020, my wife and I officially bought the business. Wow. So I ran, you know, so I ran for seven or eight years, something like that. Yeah. And, um, it's a good training period. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. There were some mistakes made, no doubt about it, but we did really well, you know, yeah. and, and my father-in-law had everything set up. I mean, we didn't have to change anything. Yeah. Like we just had to make sure we continued what he had already started. Yeah. It was already a profitable business. It was already had a good reputation. You know, I didn't have to fix anything. All I had to do was not screw it up. Right. And, uh, and so I, th I think we were, we were successful in not screwing it up and, and, and of course, the beekeeping community was instrumental in in helping us, mm -hmm. right? And, and the employees that we already had, right? They, you know. Um, and I just want to like touch on, yeah. you know, the logistics of running a business, yeah. But also the logistics of running a commercial beekeeping business. Yes. So <laughs> there's a lot of moving, stinging parts. There are, there are a lot of moving and stinging parts and it's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that can go wrong with the hives, right? I mean, there's a million reasons they can die mm -hmm. and there's, a, and, and, and some of them are our fault and some of them are nature's fault and some of them are nobody's fault. And, um, I spent the first couple years a lot on the phone calling every beekeeper I knew saying, will you come and look at this? Wow. I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. you know, the brood is gooey. You know, what foul brood is this? Or, yeah. they, you, know, the, uh, uh, you know, you know, they look like they've starved. Can you come help? Like, the, the, you know, and I knew a lot of that stuff already just because I'd been working with the bees. But also now that I was in charge, it felt heavier. Mm -hmm. You know, it felt like there's a lot here that I don't really know. Because I always said, or I'd ask my father-in-law, hey, Chuck, what... What is this? You yeah. know, and now it was everybody looking to me, and I didn't have the answers. That's and so much pressure. So it was, um, yeah, it was a lot of talk on the phone to other beekeepers who were amazing in helping me. I think it's really neat that you know, as hobbyist beekeepers, we reach out to each other. We have our little community, but to acknowledge that that community exists on the commercial level on a much larger scale Absolutely. you're separated by more miles and uh very different experiences but that's so cool that that level of i don't know yeah help and mentorship exists there and there are times a year that i am on the phone every day with two or three other beekeepers mm -hmm. every single day 
you know, and just talking about what is going on. Where are you seeing? Are you, have you gone up to Hood River yet? You know, are, are you, have your, have your growers called you? You know, I mean, anything, yeah. you know, um, asking for help, you know, saying you've got, Hey, I've got, Hey, I've got an extra deal. I bought a 2000 boxes. I only needed 1500. You need 500, you know, like whatever oh it is. Oh my gosh. So can you kind of tell us what does it look like? Because oftentimes we think of commercial beekeepers. Oh, well they go and pollinate the almonds, but it's much more than that. So as far as pollination goes. Yeah. So in Oregon, we pollinate on average 22 different crops. And, um, and that's, you know, and so each hive throughout the year gets rented anywhere between three to five times, depending on what they pollinate. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're pollinating, um, you know, pears, you know, so you come back from almonds, they go straight to pears and pears get done pretty quick. They can still make it to a a crimson clover or or, or something like that, maybe. Right. So but but the goal is about three times is what you want to is what we need to rent them for to be profitable. And that's and then but you still need to make honey and rent them another ones another time to stay profitable. It costs us, a, if we take all, our, all of our expenses, divided by how many hives we have, it's almost $300 a hive that we need to make, uh, make money. You know, $300 we break even. Yeah, wow. And so that's a lot. That is a lot. And you were sharing about some of the costs. You know, we were taking a tour of your space um, before we sat down to have your Barbara Walters special. (laughs) Um, And, you know, even the sugar syrup tank that you have. um, I guess I just think about the scale of something like this is just a little bit mind blowing. I might spend a hundred bucks on sugar every year and you're spending 20 grand to fill the sugar tank sure, yeah three times a year at least <laughs> three right? times a year yeah. oh yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so the pressure's really on and when you're moving and trying to um not only do the important job of pollinating crops but also keeping the pollinators healthy and thriving in an ever-changing and increasingly challenging environment how do you how do you handle that so yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in that, and, and it's hard because our number one goal is to keep the bees alive. You know, um, you know, you take care of the bees, they take care of you, and and when you've got you know three thousand, you know, and, and yes, we're we're a commercial beekeeping outfit, but there are outfits out there that are running you know eighty thousand, right? I mean, we're <laughs> you know uh, you know mind-boggling to me. Like, how do you even do that, right? Yeah. But so on our scale, though, it. Um, it takes a lot of man hours, and um, we have good employees. Um, they've been with us for a long time, and um, you rely on them a lot because they're the ones you know that are spending a lot of the time in the hives, right? I mean, I'm there, I'm I'm right there with them, yeah. but I, I'm not looking at every hive. They, you know, they're looking at you know a good portion of them, most of them, and um, but you know, being in the agricultural areas there's always somebody spraying, you know, there's always somebody doing something to disrupt the bees and it's, and it's their livelihoods, right? I mean, I understand, you know, they need to do some of that stuff. And now most of our growers are really good. You know, they, they don't spray, they, they keep the sprays to a minimum while our bees are there, you know, try to do no insecticides, of course, um, any spraying they try to do at night. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that our growers do to help protect the pollinators, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean the neighbor a quarter mile down the road is paying attention. Yeah. You know, like th- there's a big gap in understanding. Absolutely. Um, so, but you know, pesticides are not, you know, of course our only concern. I mean, that is a yeah. concern of yeah. many, um, uh, you know, this last year, the spring or spring was horrible. It was horrible. Right? It was it yes. was wet until July. It rained until like July 9th, you know? And so, but if you remember, it was nice one day a week. It was like 75 degrees on Sundays and then it was 52 degrees the rest of the week. And so that caused, and the bees came back from California, amazing. I mean, they were huge. The California weather was amazing for the almond pollination. So the bees came back ready to, swarm Mm -hmm. and um it was hard to work the bees fast enough in that cold wet weather yeah and so on the nice days they swarmed 
by the hundreds. And then they didn't have the weather to mate. Where normally, let's say we have 80% fly out, mate, come back, you know, perfect. You know, you know. so um, 80, 80% of the ones that swarmed fix themselves and they become great hives. Yeah. And we go fix the other 20%. Last year, maybe 10% requeen correctly. Wow. Or what they did was they trick us because they maybe they mated with one or two males. Uh-huh. Came back, they laid for a month, and we said, oh, this, they're, it's fine. And then we go back a month or two months later, and she's a drone layer. Or, oh, she, or she's in the gosh. hive not laying at all. Yeah. Because she doesn't have the sperm to do it. And so now we've got a, we, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hives that we need to fix. You know? And we've got to fix it before we rent them. Right. We can't rent them in that condition. And so it's a lot of money, a lot of resources into fixing those so they can pollinate the orchards or the fields that we've been contracted to do. And you're up against really hard deadlines. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if my hive doesn't successfully requeen itself, it's a big deal to me. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really affect anything. But for you, it's a whole other situation. Yeah, to hold it. Yeah, because, you know, when our grower calls and says, hey, the radish is going to bloom in a week. You're like, well, I have too many drones right now, yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> I need a, I need another month. I need another month. Yeah, it doesn't work, right? They're like, no. You, you oh know. my god. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we just we got to really monitor it, and we and we when the bees are in the fields, we go and check on them while they're in. Yeah. And and we go make sure they're staying healthy, they're staying queen right. Um, of course, if they start to make honey, which we hope. You know, we're there with the supers. We can put supers on. If they're hungry, we can feed them. Yeah. You know, whatever they need. Um, And different, you know, our blueberry season, um, sometimes we can make really good honey. And it's not all blueberry honey. Some of it's big leaf maple honey, right? Uh I mean, but the blueberry honey, um, you know, but can be, we can make a lot of honey. So we've got to be on top of it, ready to put supers on. Yeah. But that time of year... You can also have three weeks of straight rain. Right. And you've got to have the feed tanks on the truck to go feed those bees instead of making honey. So it can really go either way. It can totally go either way. Anytime. Um, I have heard that uh, blueberry pollination is hard on a honeybee's gut. So the reason it is hard on a honeybee's gut, um, as the research is starting to show more and more, is the sprays that they need to put on the blueberry, the fungicide sprays. Oh, um, dang. Because, um, because of all the rain, right? Yeah. The blueberries are very susceptible to diseases, molds and, and different things that, that, that occur. So they've got to spray fungicides pretty often, depending on the year. And so, um, so that fungicide is not, the best for the bees and they and they're and um some beekeepers are not pollinating blueberries anymore because of it wow um yeah and, and specifically like um just for our listeners if you haven't heard or read any of the articles yet the mechanism is that is that it disrupts their gut bacteria and so um correct me if i'm wrong uh, they have trouble nourishing the larva and so when they come off of the, the blueberries they have more efb like symptoms yeah so the efb is the big thing right they, they have shown that the hives that come out of blueberries have um have efb more often than the one that didn't come into the blueberries um and or efb like symptoms right yeah. i mean some people call it snot brood some people call it different things right but it's the same symptoms and you can treat it the same way right i mean um uh and that's just more stuff we're putting on the bees you know yeah. um so uh yes and again it comes down to you know our growers i know they ha- they spray fungicides i mean they have to do it to keep their crop to keep their li- livelihood they yeah. have to do it it sounds like and a really um a very fine dance it is and 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 that's we, we, you know and they're learning you know every year oregon state is doing more research on that yeah and um and 
so the, and they go to the Oregon Growers Association and present and show this is what's happening to the bees and this is you know you can get better pollination if you're not doing this you know they they're explaining it to them and more and more they're understanding and more and more they you know they're they're, they're spraying at night you know which helps yeah right it doesn't eliminate the problem by any by any means but it does help um, it seems like a very exciting time in the beekeeping industry because there there is a lot more education happening. At that, at well, that absolutely, level. absolutely. And part of their reason that there's all the studies going into, I mean, they've always done studies, right? They've been studying the bees for forever, right? But uh, because of some of the, like, you know, the hobbyists and the sideliners and, and um, you know, the beekeeping is a popular thing right now. And, it's, and, and so that's brought more attention to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, of course, the commercial beekeepers are saying, look, we're having a harder and harder time every year keeping our bees alive so they can be healthy enough to pollinate all the crops and we're doing everything we can um, and we can always do more we're always improving always improving our methods improving you know, techniques and but we need help from the growers mm-hmm. you know whether it be the blueberry growers the almond growers the you know pear growers like we can't there's not a, there, we can't do it ourselves yeah and so th- so there's more, you know, the, the almond board, you know, puts a lot of money into bee research. You know, the blueberry growers put money into bee research. The carrot seed growers put money into bee research because they rely on the bees. Yeah. You know, when without the bees, their crop yields go down significantly. And so, you know, they're, they're trying more, they're, you know, trying new things all the time and, re- you know, say research comes out and you adjust to it and, and you do the best you can. What are some misconceptions about commercial beekeeping? Yeah, so, um, you know, I I see often enough where they're, you know, oh, commercial beekeepers are, you know, whether it be exploiting the bees or they're damaging the bees or they're not taking care of their bees, all they care about you know, is the, is the money at the end. And yes, I'm a commercial beekeeper. I make my living from the bees making me money but I can't make money unless my bees are healthy. And so I put a lot of time and money into making sure my bees are getting what they need, when they need it, how they need it. And, and yes, when we go through a hive, my guys don't carry a bee brush around with them and sweep off every bee to make sure that we don't accidentally kill something when we put the lid down. Yeah, You know, I will, we don't do that, but we also go through 500 hives a day, you know, or 300 hives a day, whatever, whatever they're at depends on what, you know, and I can save more bees in a day, you know, by making, you know, by, by, you know, I know speeding up some of that process, making sure, you know, yeah. I, I don't brush off every bee off every frame. Well, that's interesting because uh, it seems like to move that quickly and efficiently takes a different kind of finesse. It t- it does. It does take a different type of finesse, and we and we're gentle. You know, we're gentle as we can be with the bees. We're not yeah. ripping frames out. We're not slamming things down. We're not. You know, I mean, you know, you know, if you're ripping frames out of a hive, you're gonna roll a queen mm-hmm. and kill her. You know, like you've got to be careful. You've got to. You know. Um, and you've got to be able to, and this is where good employees come into play, is you've got to be able to pull out a couple frames and know what the problem is right away. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sit there and say, oh, I don't know, let me consult this and that and this. Like, you've got to know. Yeah. Because you've got to know what to do to fix it and move on. And um, and that's what's nice when you're working with four other guys in the same field. You can yell to the other guys, hey, I need a queen transfer or I need three frames of brood. You know, this queen's gone. We're going to put a new queen in, whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, when you got, you, you can yell out and minutes later, all the resources you need come to you. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Right now. And there, and there, there's some drawbacks to that. Right. Um, I mean, commercial beekeeping, you know, we are really good at spreading diseases between hives. Right. I mean, we try not to. I mean, if, yeah. if, if I come to a hive that has EFB in it, I'm not pulling out of that hive to put those resources in it into another hive. Right. Right. I mean, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, but 
you know, sometimes it's early on and you don't see it, you know, or maybe there's mites in the cells and you don't see them. You or know? even like, do you have time to clean your hive tool between colonies or change out your gloves? Totally. No, yeah. no, you don't. <laughs> right. And so there are definitely drawbacks to the way we do things. Yeah. Um, uh, but we do them, you know, in, in the best way that we know how and, uh, and to be efficient and to be best, the best stewards of the bees that we can be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think of, uh, uh, swarming for example. Yes. So swarming, <laughs> it, we lose, we have, we lose a lot of bees to swarms. Now, if they're on my, at my property, I'll go and get them, yeah. you know, but if a blueberry grower calls me and says, Tom, I've got five swarms, you know, you've got 300 hives here. I've got five swarms today, you know, hanging in a tree. You're just what, like, uh, here's Mandy's number. Exactly. Call her. Here, yep, she'll take care of exactly it. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> I, 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 and they all, in fact, most of them don't call me anymore because I give them other people's numbers. And I said, yeah. look, I'll spend half my day going to go get those five swarms. Meanwhile, I can go through a hundred hives, 200 hives myself you know, not to blow my guys, and I can prevent 50 hives from swarming, you know? So it's a better use of my time yes. to stop those 50 from swarming than to go to collect one swarm. You know, who knows if it's going to be there when I get there? Right. Who knows, you know? And, then, and if we're out in the blueberry field working it and there's a swarm, you know, we'll throw a box under it, shake it in, and see if it stays. Yeah. You know, um, but... I can be a better steward of the bees by not going to get that swarm and letting a hobbyist go get it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, it's, I don't think go and spray them, you know, I think, you know, and they right. know they, they call the people and, and on the Oregon state, um, association website, I send them to that. Yes. You know, and I said, there's a swarm call list, put in your city and it'll give you a list of five, six people that are really excited to come get the swarm. And that's fantastic for them. You know, but for me, I'm going to let that hive requeen itself. And if not, I'll be out in a couple of weeks to fix it. Right. And, and I'm going to make sure these other ones don't swarm. So it's almost like you have to put certain anxieties to rest. Absolutely. To negotiate what is the best use of your time and, and, and big picture, what's better for your operation as a whole. What's better for our operation yeah. as a whole. And, and, and how can we keep the most bees healthy yeah and this is with. this is really what i want our listeners to take away from this conversation among other, other things but like <laughs> i really want this is such a special opportunity for us to have a glimpse into what it's like to run an operation like this and i i want people to listen to this with an open mind uh because there's you know some trash talk about commercial beekeepers sure. and I just I, I I hope that this will uh, make some people maybe reconsider that I, I hope so I you know um and and I'm not going to say that we're perfect in all aspects of the beekeeping you know um you know yes I don't wash my rinse my hive tool between <laughs> each hive you know I mean truth and, be told I don't either yeah if I go if I but if I am going out and like working somebody else's this, bees yeah yes I will do that but for in my own apiary this, I don't because yeah. you know we're all sharing here we're at home sharing, anyways yeah, so. Yeah, so the uh yeah and, and I you know you know I, you know, we as an, as a, you know, I'm going to say, you know, if I can say generally as commercial beekeepers, but at least here for Sour's Apiaries, like we understand the bees are what keeps us going, yeah. you know, and we have got to be good stewards of them. And, and if we're not good stewards, then the, we're not going to be successful. And the growers are going to notice that and say, you know, I don't want Sour's Apiaries to do my hives anymore, to, to, to pollinate my fields. They're, you know, their hives aren't any good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to have strong, healthy hives and that comes from taking care of them. And, uh, um, yes. And we buy Queens, you know, um, we don't, you know, and there are commercial guys that are able to raise their own Queens and that's great. Um, I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> but we don't have that ability right now. And, you know, we buy Queens and there's problems that come with that. Yeah. Um, but it's what keeps us going yeah. the, the, you know, the way we know how, the best way we know how. 
You've been very generous on social media with uh, creating content that is entertaining, but also uh, revealing of what it can be like in a day-to-day, um, you know, what's it like to be you every day. Um, but I, I love your reels. They're funny and very entertaining. And I always do learn something. Where do you find inspiration to create some of these? So, <laughs> uh, the, um, well, first, or are you just uh, naturally a funny guy? No, I don't know. We'd have to ask other people that question, maybe. <laughs> but the I um, so f- when when the pandemic started, my wife, the big P, <laughs> the um, my wife's friends wanted to learn some stuff about the bees and share it with their kids, and so my wife was like, "Hey, why don't you start a social media account to teach?" You know, to show some information, you know, yeah. for my friends so they can show their kids. And so that's how it started. And, um, you know, I've never been on any social media before, any any platform ever until wow. Instagram. And uh, it was, and so we, I just, you know, at first, uh, well, you know, you can go back and watch them, the first ones, right? You know, there's some humor in some of them and some of them were more, you know, this is what we're seeing. And, and, um, and then... And it's it's changed in some aspects, um, but you know, I, as I watch other people's reels, I get ideas, of course, you know, yeah. from other people's, you know, and not necessarily beekeeping reels, just other reels in general, other people's ideas, and I'm like, oh, I bet I could adapt that to beekeeping, or you know, my, of course, the guys you know, here, the employees, were always goofing around, and someone said, oh, that would be funny, and I'm like, oh, you're right, that would be funny, so. Um, yeah, they just, you know, they, they kind of occur naturally in a lot of aspects. Um, my wife makes fun of me because sometimes I'll spend some time in my car when I get home from work and I'll, I'll be like, I'm writing down ideas or I'm, I'm, I'm making a reel. And she's like, it's dinner time. Come on, what are you doing out there making a reel? But, you know, and I'm not very good at it all yet as far as like figuring all that technology part of it out. But it's fun and I enjoy it. Yeah. And I figure as long as I'm enjoying it. I'll continue to share it and do it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's and, huge. That's huge. And um, so I, I used to think I was, hey, I'm only going to show educational stuff. I'm only going to do, you know, like I, I want to show. But then as you do it, I'm like, well, I know this is pretty funny. I want to try this. And so it becomes I want to be entertaining. And, yeah. I, and I want it to be, at least for me, to be inter- I want it to make me laugh and my wife laugh. And um, and anyway so we just kind of I, I you know it's fun i enjoy it i and, love it I, you know as, as long as i keep enjoying it i'm gonna you know I'll try, I'll try to keep coming up with ideas and i and i would like to not just be entertaining but i would like some also educational things in there yeah. and through the funny things hopefully there's some tidbits of information that you may, you may not get the whole story but you understand that, you know, that there's other stuff going on. Well, you recently did a press conference. Yes, yes. Which is really brilliant. Yeah. Um, and you talked a little bit about the almond pollination. Yeah. Um, you're back in Oregon right now for just a couple of weeks, yeah. but you had just brought your bees down there. Yes. Um, oh, what are you seeing? What's what's going on? With the bees? Yeah. Okay. And, and, the, and the pollination, like in, in yeah. California. What is that like? So... Um, so the, the, the pollination event in California, of course, is the biggest pollination event in the world. Um, people come from all over the country. You know, they ship their bees from, you know, as far as I know, every state or pretty close to it, right, um, to, to the almonds. And, and that creates its own problems, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got beekeepers from all over the country, and their bees are all jam-packed into one yeah. state, right? Um, so, but uh, this year... Um, Rumors. This is not. Yeah, rumors have it that uh, the bee that there they might actually be short hives this year. There wow. were some. There were some big losses. You know, I know lots of beekeepers, but in reality, I know very few beekeepers in the grand scheme of things. Right. Okay. Um, as far as all the beekeepers are coming to California, right? I, my, my 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 I have a limited range of knowledge or or or, or limited range of communication. But I will say that as a whole, um, people in California this year are um, feeling that the bees um, probably are a little bit smaller than smaller than last year. That doesn't mean they're mm. not good. Yeah. It just means that last year we had a good year. Okay. And this year we're having an average year, right? And um, 
so the bees um, and they and at least out of this area um, the bees in general they're brood um, we don't have as many frames of brood as as normal for this time of year like we still have brood and it's still good yeah. brood it's still healthy brood why do you think they're smaller well, than, than my, usual um, you know there's lots of theories there, there, of course my theories are for us our outfit I believe it goes back to the spring we had yeah and, and the fact that it took us that much longer to get the hives really going and some of them we didn't get going until later you know in the summer yeah. so we didn't have as much time to get as big for the winter you know so instead of going into winter with 17 frames they went in with 14 frames and now so they're it's like, smaller it's the ripple effect absolutely absolutely and you know mites are always an issue yeah i mean my, you know mites are definitely an issue and we, we saw some mites in our hives already this year which we usually don't this time of year oh, um, but we have oh, seen man. some we um uh but there's also um the weather you know it was it was we didn't have that freeze like we did last year but it was a pretty cold winter uh-huh. and you know that may have something to do with it as well um i think that had something to do with the buildup in the spring you know we fed them so january 3rd or so we put driver sugar on them and a pollen padding i showed that in i think in one of the reels and usually that produces several frames of brood and this year instead of producing three and four frames of brood it produced one and a half and three frames of brood. Oh, you know, and, and it, so, had, it was a really cold January. Yeah, and so yeah, so they're building up a little bit slower. Yeah, and then in California, you get graded on the on the frames of bees you have in your hive. And who's doing that? So it depends. So sometimes a county does it. Um, sometimes a broker will do it. Oh. Um, sometimes a grower himself will do it, and sometimes they're just relying on the beekeeper to be honest, right? Um, when they're going through, do they look at every single colony, or they just do a sampling? So yeah, usually what they do is they pick a number between one and ten. Like uh-huh. they, they they flip a coin or they roll a dice or whatever, however they choose that number, and let's say it's six. So they will they will they will look at every sixth hive. And, and the whole thing. So you're getting 10% yeah. is what it is. And um, and then they'll base it off of that. Okay. Now, if you are, you can contest it. If you, they, they, Let's say they come back and say, look, you're at a six frame average or a five frame average. You can say, no, I'm not. We need to go back and we'll check every hive. Wow. You know, so... Uh, you know, this is where the relationship between the grower and the and the beekeeper is really important. I mean, we have a grower down there that we've been bringing bees to for over forty years. Oh my gosh! Right. So my father-in-law. Yeah. You know, and 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 when um, you know a lot of it's second generation, some of it's even third generation. You know that we have these relationships. That's amazing because it just seems like that goes beyond business. Like that's family. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it's you have close relationships with some of these people, and for us, and, and and different contracts down there have different requirements, right? Some are an eight frame average, you know. Some are a seven. You know, they're pretty common to have a seven frame average, and then it had the minimum frame too. It had the six frame minimum, or up to down to a four frame minimum, and the, and you can get contracts that are. 10 frame average but then you're getting paid more for those yeah right um seven and eight frames seems to be what most contracts are um we always shoot for eight frame according to uh um, research that's been done on our hives through either osu or be informed partnership yeah you know we have exceeded that eight frame average but you hope you can get that every year, right? And but but you know maybe you won't some years, right? That's why you have the contract to keep you at, you know, it's a seven frame average, you know, yeah. or eight frame average. So when we put the bees in, I mean, you know, we so we check the bees up here in Oregon before they go down, and then we check them at least once in California before they go into the orchard to make sure that we're not putting in anything that doesn't meet grade, is how we could say it, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't meet grade, and and if we don't meet grade, we're gonna hear about it. Right. I mean, you know, we're not going to get paid for it. The grower is going to to say, I don't want you to be my beekeeper anymore, whatever it is. So we do our absolute best to make sure that we exceed the grade. But you have the you have the grade in there so, you know, this is what I will meet. And if I if it goes above that, great. And some people pay you more for that. Some people don't. What happens um, here in Oregon when you're pollinating crops or orchards here? Is it the same standard or is it a little bit different? So it's different for different crops. In Oregon, 
I have ne- not that I know of anyway that I've ever been graded on my hives, right? They ne- no one's ever come out and checked. Of course, I tell all my growers at any time if you have questions about my hives ever, call me. I'll bring an extra bee suit. Yeah. And we'll go through all, any hive you want to, you know. Um, but yeah, there's not the. You know, in California, they're they're paying quite a bit of money for the hives, and 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 they they deserve and need their money's worth, mm-hmm. and and I deserve what my hive is worth, yeah. you know, to the, to them. And so in California, there's there's you know the, the the price is significantly more than up here, but up here, like when you go into pears and cherries and stuff, you know, in Hood River, in right? Hood River, yeah. right, in Hood River, you know, you know, you try to put in nothing less than ten frames, you know, and that time of year it's generally pretty easy. And different growers have different re- requirements, you know, mm-hmm. different, you know. But as far as I know, nobody that I know of gets graded, and that may be because we've been with our growers for a really long time up there yeah. you know and they and they trust us and we trust them and and uh so there may be some grading going on up there that i'm un- that i'm unaware of you know a plus plus yeah <laughs> the uh so yeah and there's and osu extension has recommendations on frame they on on how big your frame should be for different crops uh-huh. and how many hives per acre are needed when a grower asked me, well, how many hives do I need? A new grower, hey, how many hives do I need for my, you know, crimson clover field? Yeah. And I, I don't ever like to tell them what they should have because I don't want them to think that I'm by it. Like, you need 10 hives per acre, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you know, I don't want them to think that they, that I, I always tell them, go, you know, call OSU Extension, look at their pamphlet. Yeah. And that way, and then you can make the decision. They're I getting can, unbiased information. They're getting unbiased information. Not that you would be biased. Not that I would be biased, you know, but, but, and I, and I tell them, I said, I'll tell you, I can tell you what other people do. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell you what you should do. Like, yeah. you know, cause I, in, in, in the almonds, I have some people that take a hive per acre. And I have some people that take two and a quarter per acre. And that's their preference, you know, through their personal experience, through their research, whatever they do. Yeah. And I don't ever, you know, and I, I say, I'll put it, will you tell me the number? And that's what I'll put in. So, um, yeah, but it, but there's resources out there that, that can help, you know, that says, hey, you need eight frames for this or 10 frames for this to pollinate. Now, when we go do the carrot seed, mm-hmm. that is, so we actually, we do get graded. I should take that back. Earlier I said we didn't. When we go to the carrot seed in Central Oregon, Right, they grow thirty percent of the world's carrot seed in Central Oregon. That's a lot of carrot seed. It's a lot of carrot seed, right? And so um, we have a contract uh, over there, um, and I believe it says fourteen frames of bees. You know, I'd have to go Ooh. back and look for the contract, right? Yeah. So it's a fourteen frame average, and um, they also want so much brood uh, in the hive, and. Uh, but they do have someone that comes around and checks the hives. And I think, uh-huh. I, you know, I don't know, again, is it 10%, is it 5%? You know, I think the contract said they'll check 5 to 10%. Yeah. And uh, so we do get graded over there. And, and again, they pay more over there than they do here in the Willamette Valley. And and part of it is demand. Part of it is, you know, the, the, the bees they desire. And part of it is carrots aren't easy on the bees. You know, it's... it's oh, really? Yeah. So like the... the you know, over there they spray out a lot of the other weeds. Uh-huh. They, you know, so it's it's very monocrop. Like they're getting just carrot pollen, and that's it. You know, yes, hopefully they're getting a little bit from them else, but it's carrot pollen. So if you're only eating carrot pollen, it's hard on you. Yeah. So we've got to supplement it with either pollen patties or Bee Pro, or as soon as they get done, we've got to be ready to give them everything else they need to continue to be healthy. Oh, wow. I'm curious because your start into beekeeping was really right into the business, right into the thick of things. Um, Did you have the opportunity to experience these wondrous discoveries that... Like, you know, I think maybe hobbyist beekeepers get more time to sit and explore, or is that a generalization? Yeah, so um, bees are incredible, and I am amazed by them every single day. I mean, the products they create, the products they create that humans use, the way they build, the way they navigate, I mean, they are amazing. However, sometimes I'm a little disappointed that I don't have the opportunity (laughs) sometimes to sit in my backyard and just sit and watch the hive do its thing, you know, and just enjoy that part of it because it is my job 
it is my business and um and sometimes running a business and having a job isn't very fun yeah. you know i mean it, and, and yes i love going out to that going out to the hives is my favorite part of the job by far but sometimes i don't want to do it you know i'm like you know because i know we've got to go through 300 hives today and they're all spread out and it's gonna be really hard and everyone's gonna be grumpy you know so you don't want to do it but i do think sometimes i'm jealous of some of the hobbyists you know beekeepers they have these hives that look amazing you know they're painted and they got these cool lids and and they got these cool entrances and i'm like that's really cool. Like that's really neat. Like I'm like I would love to just be able to sit there and enjoy that. And yeah. and that's not to say I couldn't have a hive at my house that just sits there all year and I, I do that with. But a lot of times when my work is over, you know, I switch gears. I'm yeah, with the family. You're a family I'm, guy. Yeah. You know, I've got chickens, and I always thought I'd go, I'd get a bench out there and I'd sit and watch the chickens. You know, <sighs> and I get home and I get barely have time to feed them. You know, yeah. sometimes, you know, and, and I love the chickens, you know, and I love watching how they interact with each other. But it just, uh, it, um, life gets busy. Life does get busy. And, and so, and, you know, like for you, when you got, you know, in your, in your place, you've got some really cool hives. You got that tree hive, you know, yeah. and you got, and, and so people can experiment with different types of hives. And it doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means that, you know, I have, that's not where I'm spending that energy. Right. But that's really neat to see these, you know, you different types of hives. You can come over anytime. Yeah, I mean, it's... Anytime. It's, <laughs> it, uh, but yeah, it's true. I mean, I do feel like the hobbyists have that space to do that, to explore it more on a hobby level. We, you know, dabble in a waré hive or a top bar hive or a log hive. Totally. And, yeah. and that's... And, and that's one of the beautiful things about beekeeping is there's a lot of different ways to do it. And there's some really cool ways to do it. And I would love to have time to explore some of those. And, and but the time's not always there, you yeah. know? And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of some of the hobbies that they, they can enjoy that and they, and they get to see that, the, you know. Um, one of my favorite things to do is starting a new hive though. Because when you start a new hive and you come back a couple weeks later and it's flourishing and the brood is beautiful, they've got honey and pollen and you're like, man, I helped do that, you know? Yeah, and yes, it's in a boring rectangle that. box, you know, but like <laughs> it's on a pallet. You know, but it, 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 it's really neat, you know, to see it worked, yeah. you know, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and I've done what I'm supposed to do to help them. And, uh, um, so that's, that's one of my favorite parts is, is, is helping, you know, is starting new hives. I love it. So thank you for coming out. And I, oh, hope, I, I, so I, ho <laughs> I hope that you got to see what you want to see. And, and yeah. of course, if there's anything else you want to see again or take pictures of or well, talk about. I want to come back sometime when there's lots of bees. Bees, yeah. And uh, so, I would love to, like, maybe come back, go through some hives together and, like, I don't know. Sure, absolutely. If that's even a thing. If, if it's, it's totally it's possible. Allowed. So one of the things that... Um, you know, I like doing, and, and it's not always practical for me to do. In fact, it's never practical okay. probably for me to do, but I enjoy it. Um, is is you know having people come out yeah. and showing them them open some hives up for them, and you know especially people who've never seen it before. You know, yes. but it. it uh, uh, but I like that teaching aspect of it. Yeah, um, I would love I, to so, see the rhythm that you and your guys get into yeah. when you are having to work. Hundreds, hundreds of hives in a day yeah so the best time is probably right when you get back from california you okay. know like be that that end of march yeah well, I, at my house i'll have two thousand hives yes. uh, you know <laughs> in, in a in a five acre area so um the only other time that i've ever been around a, like a lot of hives yeah. was at George Hansen's place for B-Day oh, for they do yeah. Portland Metro Beekeepers Association puts on a big educational event and they have B-Day and George Hansen hosts it at, at, yeah. at his place and um, the smell was really intense and um, it was raining off and on that day. So when we would get a break in the rain, the bees would come out. Um, yeah. And yeah, the smell was really, really intense. And it, I, I wonder if I was smelling bee poop. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know, um, you know, bee day, you know, um, I mean, they do. So the Hansons up there are amazing beekeepers. Yeah. And they... Um, 
they run a really good operation and they're very generous with things like that like the b-day and mm-hmm. letting people come out and and uh but you know it's early, usually, usually it's in april yeah and um and so you know the bees are freshly back from california it's raining so it's very well it could have been <laughs> could have been bee poop and people don't realize that like our cars in the spring, like they change color. Sometimes there's so much bee poop on them. I mean, it's disgusting. And it, it um, uh, so it very well could have been. And it could just been that many hives, you know, flying that hard. You know, they got all their pheromones and they've yeah. got just a smell from the hives, the pollen and the honey, you know, that's all wafting into the air. Yeah. The, um, and it's one of the things that I, I'm sad because I probably don't even recognize that anymore. Oh, right? Like when I, you yeah. know, I, I step out my front door and 100 yards away, I've got 2,000 hives. Like, you know how you just become desensitized to it yeah. any of that kind of stuff right yeah. like my boys run around shirtless you know and sh- and shoeless you know and there's 2,000 hives 100 yards away or less I would be panicking to be so, honest like, <laughs> <laughs> the uh you know I think I've got some video too of like my boys ride the motorcycles and they're yeah. riding in between the hives and and it, it, it uh, you just become used to it and it's surprisingly how fast you do get used to it like when mm-hmm. I have new employee the first time out, I mean, they are, they're nervous. I mean, there's yeah. they're all these bees, they're hitting their veil, they're, you know, the, the buzzing sound. And then three days later, their hands are in the hives, they're prying the lids off, they're yeah. getting the frames they out. The they find their rhythm. And they don't, and, and the bees are there while you're trying to do your job. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting to see. And pretty, you know, we always have a good time with new people. Okay, they, uh, well, I'm invited back. I've invited myself back. Yes, you are invited back. Officially, to, you are to, invited uh, back. To find the rhythm. To find the rhythm. <laughs> to learn more about Tom, head over to beekeeperconfidential.com, where I've included links to his website and social media accounts. Since this episode was recorded, his bees are now on their way back from California, and I hope to take him up on that self-invitation to see if I can keep up with his team. To be continued. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.